So welcome to the eighth episode of season three of our podcast. I'm Mary Abazia, and I'm fortunate to be joined by my colleagues, Tom Spitali and Sean Wellham. Hi, guys. Hello, Mary. Hey, Mary. So we're calling this season the Marketing Casebook. Um, it's because we, we know that there are cases out there that are more recent that are either really successful or not successful. And we were intrigued by this. We thought, how can we help our, especially our B to be business to business clients learn from these these great examples. So uh, we're going to make sure that there's at least one lesson from this that you can take back with you to your business. But Sean, what is uh, today's episode? Today's episode is episode eight, the case of the 19th century content marketer, which actually is about Mary, one of your favorite companies. So without too much mystery, this is about John Deere. What is it? about this company you like so much. <laughs> Thank you. I know it seems a little odd, but I, I think I'm an Aggie at heart. And whenever we worked with agricultural clients, we always asked what other, you know, what other types of companies are doing well in this space? And every single time it was John Deere. And so, you know, I, I always wanted to figure out what their secret sauce was, if you will. And, uh, you know, a couple of things that are really interesting, they're over 180 years old. I mean, that's remarkable for any company nowadays to, to be able to, to do that. And um, when I found, when I was looking for, you know, what, what drives them, if you will, one of the things that their founder, Mr. Deere, in their company believes is you have to treat everyone like you would like to be treated. Treat everyone like you'd like to be treated. You know, that is like so refreshing <laughs> because it seems like in all the fanciness of companies trying to figure out their mission and vision and values, I mean, that's a pretty fundamental one that seems like it really has held the test of time for them. Um, their brand is phenomenal. And uh, if anyone has even seen a bit of green and yellow with a leaping deer, you'll uh, you'll know that that's, that's them. I mean, they did it. We hear about branding a lot of different ways, but they did it with with that. And there's no definitive reason why they started with green and, and yellow other than um they had a product they bought originally called Waterloo, and that was green. But then it really did um, appear to be what agriculture is all about. You know, the fresh green grass cut, the yellow corn. <laughs> um, and it was opposite of their competitor, which was red. So you could always see the John Deere standing out in the in the fields, if you will. The um, Well, we don't know if they did segmentation it's clear that they have figured out the sectors and seem to do really well with, they provide tractors for agriculture, for lawn and garden, for construction, for landscaping and ground care, for golf, forestry, government, and they even have rentals. So they just seem to, you know, keep making sure that they can really serve those different customers well. So it's, as you can tell, it's, it's, it's farming type equipment. But they went even further to come up with a financing program very early on before other companies were thinking about it that really helped people that wanted to buy or rent their equipment. And they have a site called Stellar Support, which is where you can find all of the things that you need to, whether it's a manual that you don't have or the type of customer service that you're seeking. So all the way around, they just seem to be an old company that thinks new. So I was intrigued by that. Um, so, so anyway, so, but obviously there's reasons why I like it. Tom, um, I, I'm, I'm interested in knowing what you found about them. 
Well, the reason we called this the case of the 19th century content marketer is we found some astonishing information. Mary, you just mentioned that they did financing before everybody else. Um, an article that we found also said that they got the jump by about maybe 100 or over 100 years uh, on everyone else, not just their competitors, but everybody else on content marketing. Now, content marketing is defined as the creation and sharing of materials that does not explicitly promote a brand, but is intended to stimulate interest in its products or services. And I think you see a lot of content marketing today. We'll get into the reasons why content marketing is so important today. But these guys, John Deere, started doing content marketing in 1895. They published a magazine called Furrow, which is a magazine about farmers and best practices. It had virtually no promotion for John Deere in it, yet it's credited with being a huge part of John Deere's success because it really helped educate their market. To, I'm sorry, their their customers and put you know their brand into a really positive light and sort of cemented. Their, the loyalty of, of, of many of their customers. In fact, not only did it begin, uh, begun, not only was it begun in 1895, it's still published today, a um, hundred and, I don't know, 30 years later. So that's pretty amazing stuff. I, and it kind of opened the door for us to talk about something we haven't talked about in the past, which is content marketing. Sean, I know that you have done some work in this area why is content marketing of this type more important now than ever? Well, I guess I think of it as we, we, don't, we don't get less information out there. We, we get over-communicated. And whether that's a direct sales message or advertising or just the, the sheer volume of access we have to um, data and, and platforms of all sorts, it's a very noisy area. So you have to add something of value. You've got to have a reason why somebody would want to consume, either read or maybe watch a video or listen to a podcast, a reason why they would want to consume whatever it is you're offering. And that clearly goes way beyond just saying, here's the product we make. This is what it does. This is how much it costs. These are the colors you can get it in and so on. All that standard product information is just of little interest unless you're very much in that moment of buying something maybe. So content marketing has this sort of idea of informing, educating, or even entertaining and, and creating a different reason why you'd want to consume it. And, and you have that sort of halo effect. You know, if you're associated with quality content, then that has a, um, an enhancement to your overall position within the market you compete in. It demonstrates your knowledge. It creates the, 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 the position of your, your expertise and, and can even share your personality. When we talk about entertaining, it can just be fun sometimes, you know? So I think the idea of content marketing, why it's so important is you, you've got to find a reason why somebody would want to listen or read or watch, not just the opportunity you might see to, to push your product or talk about how great your services are. It's, it's a way of, um, of getting a, a, a voluntary audience rather than pushing stuff towards them, I suppose. Yeah, I think we've seen in the era of customer interaction, which I would probably say begun in the late 90s and continues obviously on to today, where, customer, where, where, where there's an opportunity not only for customers to have dialogue with individual customers, 
but for customers to, to easily have conversations about products and services, not just with the people that they are physically around, but literally across the world, you can talk to people about products and services. Power shifted from companies to customers. In the past, it was really a function when there wasn't that kind of interaction uh, available amongst customers. It was really a function of who could shout the loudest, who could get their branding message uh, out to the most people and, and most effectively. But once people started to be able to talk to each other about brands and their experiences, that became even more important because you trust your neighbor and your neighbor's experience more about their about a brand than you do the, the company promoting it. So I think this idea of having to now shift from just being effective about saying you're the best to being more trustworthy and, and, and being um, the kind of organization that can help educate customers and make them smarter consumers of your product category became more and more important. And I think that's a good thing. I think also there's an element of making people, it's like a secondary um, effect. If you look at, at, at John Deere's you know, mission, if you like, with the Foro was to um, educate and inform farmers on best practice, on on uh, how to you know get the best out of the whatever prevailing conditions their farm is situated in, and so on and so forth. And the secondary impact is the more successful farmers are, the more likely they they are going to need expansion to buy new equipment to to become good customers. So by helping them in one way, you're helping to stimulate demand, which is another part of content marketing. One of one of the other early content marketers was the Michelin Guide, um, which still goes to this day. And it was a, a, a guide to travel and where to go to and hotels to stay in. And the reason it was sponsored by Michelin was because they made tires and they wanted to encourage people to get in their car and go places. They knew that their market would grow based on the miles driven by the cars. There's anything they could do to add value with a travel guide, essentially, but to create that, that recognizing they're stimulating a, a, a demand. And I think that's an important part of this too, is not to keep thinking, how can we write something that will directly relate back to us as a, as a potential supplier, how can we stimulate this market in a broader sense? And I think that's where some of the, the, the long-lasting content marketers have found that particular niche where they, they're able to do that. Yeah, I think that's a fine line to walk because, you know, the question often is, okay, I have this marketing strategy and I know I want to do some content marketing or be a thought leader, but how do those two come together? And uh, you don't want to, as we've been saying, make it so obvious that it's buy my product or service, but rather we understand your needs. And part of those needs is a way to make you smarter or enable you in some way or get people to talk with you about um, so that, you know, as, as, a, as a customer, they actually are learning and thriving, but you do take a risk that you're not going to be growing just your brand. You may be growing your competitors' brands as well. But, as, as but I think of one it. of the, the, the interesting things that happens with content marketing when you have the philosophy that you're just going to make your customer a more informed buyer in your product category is if you do a really good job of that, the customer thinks, well, 
if they're if if they're talking about these things and and um, and, and they're educating me in this way, their company must be set up to be able to deliver in a way that's consistent with these principles of how they're telling me to buy in this category. It's something that happens, I think, maybe even almost subconsciously, but really great content marketers have that trust that if they don't explicitly push their brand, but they have the customer's needs in mind and the customer's education in mind, that it'll work out for them. I think, you You know, I think, Oh, I'll go. Sorry, Mary, you go ahead. I'll go first. Um, The trust, you know, really, if I think back on, on the theme of what, what John Deere has done is they've built trust in everyone that they touch. And that's, you know, that's where you do it with the branding, with the thought leadership, all of the things you're, but I think Tom, you hit on it when you said trust is how does a company, you know, in any, any day and age, build that trust in a way that people know that, you know, they're going to be honest with them, even if it's not, you know, always the best thing for the product, but it is something that that they have the customer's best interest. So I, I think you're right. Um, Sean, what were you going to say? Well, I was just thinking we, we, we seem to be saying a lot about how, you know, it's a fine line and you don't want to be pushing product too overtly and there's a risk that we could, you know, um, attract more um, uh, business for our competitors as to ourselves and all of those sort of watch outs. But let's not forget that sometimes having a, a quite a direct route has been proven to work. You know, you look at some of the recipe books. I think Jello started it way back, but but pretty much everyone's done it. The, the Kellogg's folks do it. They, if you ever sent off for a Kellogg's recipe book that was free with a coupon, what you got back were recipes that had a conspicuously large amount of cornflakes in them, right? You know, that was, the, you know, but you didn't really mind that because, hey, it's a free recipe book and I, I can make this and this is, so So sometimes it's it's not, you know, we, we shouldn't say it's it's always a no-no to be quite overt of saying, hey, send for this information and this information is, is going to tell you how to use more of our product. That can work too in certain circumstances. We shouldn't be too precious about the, um, the distancing ourselves from the commercial end of why we're doing this. Sometimes a, a little bit of direct, you know, is, is okay too. It's okay in some industries. I think in our, just let's take our our industry, for example, um, professional services and, and, and marketing strategy consulting. I think it's probably a no-no to, to be too prescriptive about our, our offerings and our services in the kind of content marketing that we do. I think what people are really looking for when they're thinking about um, hiring people to, to help them with their marketing strategies or any you know, kind of professional consulting is they're looking to see you know, how well do you understand the industry, what kind of um, you know tools and processes do you have to help them make sense of complex issues that they're facing as a company? And I think that I'm Sean. I am not disagreeing with you. I think with certain products, Jellos, cornflakes, those kinds of things. Yeah, you can be pretty straightforward, and you can insert yourself into the into the situation there. But I think with our business, our kind of business, and a lot of B2B businesses, you're better off to just show that you have the right kind of thinking to be able to help other kind of companies. No, I, to- I totally agree, Tom. I horses for courses. Right. I just really wanted to make the point that, that there's no universal good way of doing this. It depends on your product, on your target market, and all the other things, and everyone has to make their own decisions. And sometimes the content marketing is, is part of a broader brand positioning. You take Red Bull, as an example, Red Bull, uh, 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 an energy drink, but they're pretty famous for 
uh, the extreme sports, that that massive um, parachute jump. I forget the Felix. Oh, what was his name? I can't remember. I probably anyway. The the guy who jumped from space, Red Bull sponsored it. Formula One cars, they sponsor it. They've got this whole extreme sports sort of angle, and they have a they have a, a magazine called the Red Bulletin. And the Red Bulletin is a lifestyle magazine that covers, you know, survival stories, sporting prowess, um, extreme sports, you know, danger. The whole thing is feeding this narrative. And sometimes, you know, the content marketing doesn't stand alone. It's part of the broad brand narrative. If you're in the, if you're in the lucky position to have that, then make sure the content marketing is, is reflective of that and builds upon it. Mm, that's good. You know, um, we obviously talk about segmentation a lot. And I had said that I was trying to see very, uh, very clearly if John Deere had segmentation. And you usually see it in the signs of what they provide. So while they have the furrow, they also have dirt, D-I-R-T, which um, is sand on demand. <laughs> so they, uh, in any good company that segments, they also look at having their content marketing address different needs of different groups. And so I thought that was a good example where they, you know, extended the furrow onto dirt for a different group of people that are wondering about sand on demand. So. Yeah, I think a lot of um, our clients in the B2B space wonder, where do I go to get ideas? How do I kind of brainstorm around what my content marketing content should be? And segmentation, oftentimes, uh, really good needs-based segmentation, oftentimes provides tremendous amounts of ideas in this area because you, you really get into the mind of different types of customers and clearly, as you start to do that and you start to profile those segments, you get a sense of what they're interested in differently, maybe from other segments. And then you take your target segments and you, you start to design your content program around what those people are interested in. It, it, it tends to really um, get the ideas flowing. Yeah, Sean, do you have any final thoughts? I just build on what you guys are saying about segmentation. Of course, the technology exists today that you can. I mean, when you're printing a magazine in in the 19th century, you pretty much have got one version of that, and it goes to everybody. Um, you know, there's no need to think like a magazine publisher. So, I guess the, the segmentation is a really neat idea. I hadn't thought it, thought about it much, but I, I think you know, if you do have specific segments with different needs and different focuses, um, you can adapt content very specifically and targeted quite specifically. We, we, we live in an age where that's possible. So um, it, it enhances the, the opportunity. Yeah, so we hope that you've enjoyed this, this uh, session. Um, we are on the accidentalmarketer.com site where you can click on the podcast button and hear other podcasts. Or um, we have on iTunes, we have a podcast page that you can give us ratings. And you can always send us an email and tell us of a topic that... Uh, you would like for us to cover or you have comments on ones that you've been listening to. Thank you very much.